Yuka, how's it going? All right, so Steve. Good to see you. It's been a while. Yeah, so folks that don't know, Yuka Nernan is uh, uh, one of the founders of uh, Forward Forever, which is mm-hmm. a practice that focuses almost exclusively on, on Power Platform, right? Yeah, I mean, we're trying to make it exclusive, get rid of the almost part. So, yeah, I mean, there's lots of people who have database backgrounds in our company, but I mean, yeah, we try to then kind of brainwash that out of the new recruits that have a database background and kind of teach them to think low code. So, yeah. I tell you, in my recent chat with Charles, low code is a big deal. Uh, And customers, you know, power platform and low code, customers didn't understand what we were talking about a couple of years ago. Uh, But now they're starting to come around. I think we're really just seeing the first wave of of customers of the light bulb going off over customers' heads. And we're starting to have customers come, you know, right in the door with, I don't want any code. You know, they've already, they've already drank Mm. and they just don't want any code anymore. And uh, well, that's great. That's great. The uh, so you guys are, are shying away from Dynamics 365, or do you do you kind of try and persuade that customer that really there's a better way over here on the low code side? Yeah, kind of what where we see is we don't try to convert people away from Dynamics because we kind of think that this is a whole separate business of its own. So uh, when we go to talk to customers now, then I mean many of them have Dynamics, some might have Salesforce and whatever, but uh, the thing is, though, that uh, whether they have an existing Dynamics partner or not, then those people aren't really telling them local lo- story. So they are not really able to, I mean, first of all, talk with the right people there. They talk with the, I mean, sales and service uh, owners and all that, people who have actually kind of subscribed to that uh, to that project, pay for the licenses, all that cost. And there is a, uh, it's a whole different uh, customer compared to what we you then talk with the uh, with the people who are either building apps there in the around the organization, or then talk with IT who are kind of discovering that hey, we actually have have this thing called Power Platform in use, and we didn't deploy it, and it came to us. So what we're going to do it right now? So yeah, that's yeah. really an area where I spent a lot of time during the past one or two years around the the governance story of of the yeah, Power Platform. Yeah, the center of excellence. That thing is really uh, I tell you, from when that first launched, uh, that's come a long way. Yeah, it's an amazing, well, I mean, because it's not even a product and people are surprised by the fact that it's not something that Microsoft officially supports. But then again, I mean, the support that you can get from the team behind it, so the PowerCat team, Manuela and her crew, so uh, it's uh, on a whole different level compared to a commercial service, because you can open an issue on GitHub, get a reply from them in a few hours, you can see what other questions people are asking there, uh, you get like releases, Every month, there plus some hot fixes between those releases. So, yeah, I mean, in a way, that's that is the so future you get, so you get of products. Support. <laughs> it's so you get better, better support on an unsupported product. <laughs> exactly, you get way better support for it. So there's so much, I mean, learnings from that uh, whole whole sort of a template that they call it. But yeah, it's it's what I spent a lot of time on trying to figure it out and uh, try to show customers that if you are serious about governance, we then we're going to start with this kit and mm-hmm. then figure it out. But there's there's no governance without the CQA starter kits, the way I see yeah, it. I think uh, you know you got, you have a good point because the the line of business owner, you know, VP of sales or uh, that that buyer who is looking for that solution finds Dynamics and says, oh yeah, this looks like it it does what we want and just buys it. He doesn't have any concept of code, no code, customer. It, it, it's not 
not really even thinking mm. that way. His brain isn't even wired that way. All he's thinking about is here's a, a ready-built solution for my for my business problem. So yeah, the low-code story uh, definitely resonates better with people that actually understand what code is and and, and know why they would like to get away mm. from it. You know, not have any of those black boxes in their environment if they can avoid it. Yeah. So, I mean, usually many of the uh, evangelists or kind of early adopters of Power Platform in the organizations are those people who have been scarred by the previous projects of like the way to do it uh, for, by formal IT development projects or buying software and trying to deploy it and all that. And they kind of have, they're pro probably tech savvy enough that they know that there could be an easier way to do this. Then they discover the, the, uh, existing uh, power apps and automate in inside office and uh, start playing with it and then they, they the light bulb goes off and I mean there's no no turning back after that you cannot put the genie back in the bottle anymore there's no yeah, right. no sense in trying to do it any other way so then it's a matter of that I mean uh, giving those people then a, an avenue for them to actually kind of show others what the value there is because it could be such that if they are doing it behind behind the back of the IT, then they try to have to kind of hide it instead of actually yeah. promote it within the organization. So that is kind of the phase that we we see many organizations at this moment. And it's kind of a sign that it's really early days for low code, but it's it's going to, I mean, there's no alternative that's going to happen. I, and it, it's, it's a matter 90, of uh, when and uh, how, but not 95, if. It's 95% of what we're doing now. And I agree with you that we're really just at the beginning of it. I think you know Microsoft made a, a smart move by including Power Apps in the M365 licenses, mm -hmm. but they they dropped the ball a little in that they weren't clear in differentiating. And you've probably heard me complain about this before. I mean, I I think they should have called it you know you know that it that M365 includes Power Apps Lite or something. They should have somehow differentiated between with or without a dataverse, uh, which they didn't mm -hmm. do. And it, it it causes challenges for us with uh, customers for some of the you know uh, power app products that we've built that require dataverse and they're coming mm -hmm. in you know, they already have all our licenses and then realizing they don't fortunately the license they needs are not very expensive but mm. they don't they don't already have it and yeah. I also wonder you know when they're building their first apps in in that power apps and they're working with a SharePoint list or whatever whatever they're working with and they've they've made a rudimentary simple little app and it solves a, a problem for somebody I, I worry that sometimes they don't realize that there's much much more available to be done with power apps than what you're able to do and I think mm -hmm. there's probably I, I would imagine there's scenarios where there's organizations where somebody's coming and showing somebody look at this simple app I built and they said oh that's great too bad it can't do a lot more well, they can do a lot more. I think there's that's the that's the disconnect. And I've yet to have a customer come in that understood the difference between what they got with M365 versus, you know, the full power app. They have no concept. It has to be explained every time. And that would be a, a wall I'd love to see broken down by Microsoft to save me the trouble. Yeah, I mean, the fact that some features in the uh, studio have a diamond icon and some don't and i mean that there's no uh not enough <laughs> yeah th there's no sensible way to like describe the principles uh to a, a an app maker in, in a way that would be a one slider so i i keep trying to do that we run these workshops around governance and one whole workshop is about licensing and there's still not enough time like two hours to go through the 
the core concept of platform licensing. Yeah. So, yeah, but in a way, we can also have to have to talk about it because it really is then also a big advantage of the product compared to competitors. I mean, how cheap it actually is when you get to the platform play, but when you get stuck into the individual apps and like this single scenario that doesn't work out if you don't have a border license, then yeah, I mean, that's, uh, it, I think it's a phase of the evolution that we have to kind of go through. And uh, I'm not really kind of expecting that there would be a, a major change in the way that uh, the uh, the sort of premium features of the platform are are licensed. So maybe it could be a bundle, uh, a more expensive M365 license or, or something like that. But uh, either that or this kind of just become a part of the EA packages that uh, corporations then sign up for. So it's going to be a solve one way or the other. It's going to become everyday stuff that people have the platform. Well, you know, we, as we both know, you know, licensing in Microsoft has been a huge challenge for customers and partners. But, uh, you know, I think uh, you and I have kind of agreed that we don't really have any better ideas. I mean, it's necessarily mm. complex and it, it's unfortunately necessarily complex for what they're trying to do. And if they were to try and standardize something uh, or, or, or they would end up eliminating the lower cost things. And, you know, to your point, somebody not, uh, I don't think it, the, the typical person out there, business person realizes that, you know, for example, our rapid start is a, a you know, a fine little CRM, good starter to build something more on, but it's a complete little CRM and it's going to cost them $5. And I don't think they can reconcile this because, you know, that uh, the fi a $5 Power Apps license is cheaper than just about any other cloud app event from anybody out there. It's too uh, cheap already. It, it's too cheap. It's too cheap. And I think that they're, so they're seeing something, they're looking at, okay, so this is $95 and this is $5. So this obviously can't be very good. Um, and certainly, mm. you know, we're not even attempting to build anything on the scale or scope of what that $95, you know, Microsoft product does. But I'd argue with most of those clients, they're not going to use 90% mm -hmm. what's in that $95 product. So, and you know, cause I think you've, you've worked with our, our solution before also, I mean, mm, with customers, they got they get a couple of options. They can go with the great big Mac daddy dynamics 365 product. They're going to have to change it to fit their, their business. They're going mm -hmm. to have to customize. They're going to yeah. have to hide a bunch of stuff they don't need and build stuff they do need that still, even in that massive package, isn't there. So they've still got this development project to get that where they want. Or they could spend the same development effort or less starting from something at five bucks and end up in the same place. What remains after that is $95 or $90 a month cost difference per user indefinitely. So once uh, once that light bulb goes off, and I have this conversation, as you can imagine, all the time with customers. Every day. Every day with customers. And then we try, you know, website, try, I mean, it's just, it's uh, it's one of those, if, if it sounds too good to be true, it, 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 mm -hmm. it must be something wrong. Uh, and I don't know how you get around that. So we have the same problem with the, I don't know if you follow when we, we recently launched, which I'd love to get your opinions on also. We recently launched a services as a subscription model. Mm, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, for Dynamics, for, for the whole Power Platform, that includes deployment, customization, includes everything except code. Mm. 
as you know today, in a, in a low code, no code first environment, there's very little code. And it's another one of those things that I think sounds too good to be true uh, for a lot of customers. You know, they're looking at a fixed monthly cost no matter what. And we're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, but you can just see the 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 look in their face that no, this this doesn't sound right. So, mm. first of all, I'm curious what you think about a model like that. Well, I think it's it's brave, but it's also, I mean, definitely something that uh, needs to be done and tried out if we want to really try and support a a platform, because. Okay. Uh, it's also an area where we have spent a lot of time figuring out that what should we start offering? I mean, what kind of a uh, standardized support plan would be something that, uh, first of all, customers get uh, value from and uh, that they subscribe to it. And then we can also deliver it in a fe kind of feasible way that uh, doesn't make it a battle of like, have you spent enough hours or not on this particular feature in this month? So uh, yeah, because uh, ultimately it's always going to be easier to like define that okay, you have this this product called Diamond Three Sixty Five for sales plus customer service. Maybe we are the company who deployed it and we support our customizations on top of it. But how the heck do you then support a a platform that can have thousands of apps built by anyone? So that's where we get to the real interesting territory of like what's going to be the the power platform support service. We're trying to slowly figure it out and like pilot it with a few customers, but that is uh, again lots of trial and error, and also then uh, selling the whole concept uh, to to the customers to begin with. I mean, convincing them that this is actually it's a great deal for both them and us. Then that's going to be a long road, uh, like many of these things in, in the early stages of of logout revolution. Yeah, I don't disagree. I I think we we launched this thing with the nozzles probably too wide open and over time we're going to discover okay we need to tighten this nozzle up a little bit because mm. you know, like, like you say there's going to be uh, you know you know I, i've actually fought with the team on wanting to make this thing you know cover as much as possibly cover and them uh, uh, you know continuously throughout the, th around the table you know well, what about this and what about that mm -hmm. so we'll, we'll deal with that when we get to it but you know when we get to it then we may have to to do because there are a lot of wild cards. There's third-party integrations that may exist when you mm -hmm. come in, customer. There's uh, third-party solutions they may want supported. There's there's lots of uh, lots of variables. So we we shall see. You know, it's still new, but I, what I'm liking about the idea, and I'm hoping more partners adopt it because, frankly, it's easier to sell something to a customer when you're not the only one out there selling it. Very mm -hmm. uh, good. They don't have any frame of reference. They're they're trying to compare it to something and they can't find anything. So, you know, they get nervous. So I, I would like to see more people uh, do it. But our previous model, we sold blocks of hours. The customer would buy mm -hmm. a block of, I don't know, 40, 80 hours, something like that. They'd go into a bank. And then we just work with them, whatever they wanted, anybody, whatever, uh, juniors, seniors, whoever needed to be involved, who just worked against that bank until it was gone. And the problem with that was that uh, the customers couldn't take their eye off the clock. Yeah. They, they stared at that bank uh, bank of hours like an hourglass, and they'd see the sand going down in that hourglass. So they would they would stop. They'd stop something, and then they want to conserve. They mm. would try to hoard these out. And I'm uh, sitting there so, so frustrated because there is so much that they could get out of this platform if they stopped looking at that clock. 
but I understand why they're looking at that clock because you know they're they're basically still paying by the hour. Mm-hmm. So one of my real hopes of a model like this was that we eliminate the hours, we eliminate the scope. There's no there's no hourglass to look at. Just you know, let's get on a call, talk about every single thing you want to possibly do using everything that's available on the platform. And there's a bunch of stuff in the platform. Charles mentioned 29 products that he'd counted. Uh, in that platform, each of which mm-hmm. had sub levels, and so I mean, there's so much that we can bring to bear for any of our customers, any of our customers that all of us have out there, that they're just never going to get to as long as they're watching a clock. And so that's the that's the big bet is that if they stop watching the clock, will they actually expand and explore out to everything that platform can do? Because I know both of us have seen customers and know that there is a solution to that problem that is a perfect solution, awesome solution, but they won't do it. Uh, and, it mm. and, and it just did it. If they invested the X dollars, their return would be 100X and their life would be easy, but they can't get their eye off that clock. So this is the real impetus for this whole thing was, let me see if I can somehow or another get their eye off a clock <laughs> and see what effect that has. So we'll find out. Yeah, it's kind of like eliminating the Great anxiety of like your electric cars or battery running out. So, I mean, there's always, if you have a meter like that, then you are focused on it, even though the range would be perfectly fine for your 99% of your travels, but you still worry about the range. So I think it's kind of a similar <laughs> phenomena that might yeah, yeah. be issue with the, the blocks model. And yeah, I mean, ultimately, uh, I mean, looking at how, uh, how then these local solutions really should be adopted uh, within the enterprise. I mean, looking at, for example, the models that Microsoft is proposing. So, so much of it is uh, kind of uh, focused on the customer's side and driven by them. And yeah. that's uh, one kind of area that I'm really curious to see that uh, uh, is it going to be so that uh, we, I mean, experts like us, are going to be then interestingly working on the customer's side of the fence there. So is that going to be then the requirement for us to like break down the model of the the customer versus the uh, the vendor who is then uh, kind of the uh, trying to squeeze out revenue from the customer who doesn't know the technology deep enough? And uh, we have really tried to I mean position ourselves as advisors rather than consultants that come there and do the what was we ordered because uh, first of all we we can do that in so early days. There's hardly any competition in the uh, in the local market for that kind of uh, expert advice. So uh, it allows us to then build up the trust before we can actually get into more wider scale usage of, of our services and building bigger apps. But then uh, again, that's a very kind of a personal personal model or person driven mo- mode. So how do you then scale that to to markets outside your immediate network? Well, you don't can't really do that. So uh, I see that as a also a big barrier for why then probably many partners are not willing to really go, uh, I mean, go 100% on our platform at this moment, but rather stick to the, the projects on the dynamic side that are also growing. So yeah, I think uh, it's another thing we, we, we have in common. We're, you know, we're out here trying to sell something and nobody else is really trying to sell it. So mm. you guys are doing the same thing. You've started a business model that is focused, number one, on Power Platform. I don't. I don't really know of another partner out there that has taken that specific. You know, they're all like an Amex partner, and we'll also help you with this. Or, but I haven't seen enough partners out there 
Very few. I mean, you guys are certainly uh, uh, the first and mm. along of any that I have seen that have said, we're going to make this, we're going to build a practice around platform as opposed to product. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's, uh, I, I, think, I think it's awesome. And it's a, in a way a crazy bet that doesn't make then sense for many of the more established uh, teams or partners. Uh, actually, I was reading this uh, study published by Microsoft just this morning to their partners about the sort of the uh, business model. It was by Forrester, I think. So they had this uh, did this study, interviewed a few few partners, ten or so, plus then uh, run some surveys on a few more, and they had this. Uh, kind of projection of what the business application partner revenue streams are going to be in the next three years was the composition of those revenue streams. And uh, because all those were, of course, they were big partners. They had like from 20 million to like 200 million and revenue. So uh, the answers, of course, they are almost all of them were in, in CRM and ERP to begin, begin with. And yeah. so uh, so the ERP revenue stream was uh, implementation services was going to be around 40% of the total CRM or CE was like 20% and power platform during the three years was going to be 2%. Yeah, yeah. And I was yeah. kind of laughing there because that's exactly probably what they're going to get. It doesn't make any sense for them to kind of uh, uh, take away the uh, the same professionals from those uh, FNO or CE projects and put them into this business, which is really not based on any proper projects in their scale and yeah, yeah. in a way that's uh, the fact that we we don't have that uh, escape pod so we cannot just like go over then to do fno or we could do see if things really uh, don't play out but uh, so far that hasn't been the, the case but so uh, well, unless you are in this kind of a situation then why would you invest in in power platform only there's no sort of business uh, sense for the practice leads to do that kind of a uh, jumping a, a platform that's not burning into a new platform that's you don't know if it's going to sink or not. Well, I think I think we can be pretty confident it's not going to sink. I think that mm -hmm. um, you know Charles at the helm and and you know Phillips before him, uh, they they're all in on this. So this mm -hmm. the platform is definitely not going to sink. the The bigger question will be you know how will it in the long term be positioned against their first party apps. And you can kind of see some of their strategy. As you said, with power apps, there's a very much a direct to customer motion from them. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, on the, the Dynamics 365 side over the years, partners have been, you know, a blessing and a curse for Microsoft because I think there yeah. have been many, many, many potential Dynamics deployments that didn't happen because a partner came in with some great big, huge number to deploy it, and the whole thing just got scuttled. So, mm. you know, uh, on the Power App side, you know, Microsoft has really marginalized the partner significantly. Definitely, yeah. You're not going into a customer who's looking at Power Apps and, you know, laying down, you know, six-figure deployment costs. Uh, there's mm. no way to do that. So that, that door... It's a, that's a long runway for Microsoft down that door. So I think that'll be that'll be the the the, the one thing that bothers me a little is I, I do think they are overselling it a little bit to the end customer. Um, the customers that have had success, uh, big scale success with Power Apps, you know, they've gone out and hired, you know, people. They've been out, hired. Uh, I mean, they got developers on their team. They got they got a whole team mm -hmm. of people. 
in there. It's not just, you know, Joe in the warehouse who's making an app. Yeah. That, you know, that's the the case study is Joe in the warehouse made an app, but you know, they don't they don't really talk about, yeah, this company has 10,000 apps deployed. Joe didn't build them all, you know. So I think that they maybe soft pedal a little bit that, you know, anybody can build this, uh, you know, but I think I think not anybody can build things. Lots of people's brains don't work that way. And even the ones that can, I don't know if they know enough about what to build. And if they do know what it is they're trying to solve, they don't know enough about what's available to use. And I'm sure you run into this as frequently as we do, where we're we're coming in because somebody built some app and now it's become important. Mm-hmm. You this app and, and and you're realizing they had no idea what they were doing when they built this app. They had no idea what was available. You know, they've, they've, they've created a flow with, you know, 27 steps uh, to, to, to circle because they didn't understand how to use, exp- they didn't understand. They just didn't know what they didn't know, but they muddled mm-hmm. and built this thing. And you're almost at, I realize this is mission critical, but if this thing is going to scale, we need to knock it down and start over. Uh, you know, I mean, he had, mm-hmm. you know, whoever built it reached a fork in the road and didn't even realize they were at a fork and just went right when they should have gone left. They didn't even see the sign. They didn't, they didn't even know. And so that that's mm-hmm. a challenge. But I think that's just growing pains. I think that's that's going to be yeah. I think that really it's, uh, first of all, you cannot avoid those scenarios. You can only kind of minimize the damage from it, but you should then also kind of maximize the the impact from that example of like what actually can be built there. Because usually the it's hardly ever the uh, kind of competition between should we do this with pro code or or do have uh, Joe there do it with uh, with no code. I mean, those yeah. are uh, you're competing against Excels or emails. That's the real competition there. So uh, that perspective is something I also then try to uh, highlight when talking with IT who are concerned about these scenarios, of course, because it will these things land on their desk and they're not ready for it. But yeah. then uh, the thing is that uh, from the perspective of the whole company, then I mean, having that information, be it in a SharePoint list or database, I mean, in some rudimentary sort of a place that can actually function as part of an app in the future, it's so much better than having it on paper that, I mean, went with Joe when he left the company. So yeah. uh, we really need to understand the fact that so these are not, it's not a competition of like Joe coming in and building a the next Travis Star CRM. It's not not, not going to happen. Technically, he could, but uh, we are kind of like we need to identify that what are the sort of real impacts to business from this fact that uh, well, normal people can now build apps. And that is a it's such a radical concept that uh, uh, I mean almost no company m- most IT organization don't have any, any way to deal with it right now other than yeah. trying to kind of eliminate it and then put on some uh, barriers there and try to try to ensure for example by not providing premium licenses that the people are not going to build any stuff that actually could accidentally become important and of value. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was interesting that as a couple of years ago, I assume it's still the case when. Microsoft made uh, by default the ability for any user of Microsoft of uh, you know uh, M365 to be able to build apps, and it was up to IT to go and turn that off instead of mm. the other way around. I mean, I think they knew that if IT if it was off by default and IT had to flip the switch on, they would never do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it went the other way and said, "Oh, we're going to turn it on by default." So I could definitely see. You know, IT being unaware of the shadow IT in their own organization, first of all, 
that un unaware that this has even happened or that there even is a switch to turn it off. And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully they don't find it. I, uh, you know, obviously both of us over the years have worked with many IT uh, organization people. Uh, I have found uh, uh, some that were very open, uh, but that is very rare. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's still largely kind of the same folks that were anti-cloud uh, back, you know, a decade ago that, uh, you know, that just fought, fought hard against uh, cloud for anything until ultimately it just rolled them over. And now they're all, they're all, they're all in on cloud. Mm -hmm. We're at a similar influx, I think, with, uh, with things like power apps, that it's another one of those for IT organizations, just another one of those big, scary things like the cloud was. All they can see is worst case scenario. Uh, worst case scenario never happens. Uh, best case scenario never happens either. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, they just, they, they can't, I think that it'll take some time to, uh, to get past that. And, and of course, mm. that's a large organizations. The, the, the smaller SMB companies, no problem. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they're ready to do anything mm. that'll some money uh, mid-size you start getting some it in mid-size business but certainly in you know corporate and enterprise that's going to be a challenge and some of those companies that microsoft talks about and schlumberger and some of those others that have really adopted power apps i mean it's amazing to me the company that size was able to get that level of adoption mm -hmm. uh, with it i mean they must have had some really um Maybe they sent IT on vacation for a month or something. I, I don't know how they got past that. They must have had some really open-minded uh, IT folks uh, running that that IT organization because it's not it's not common. Yeah, you don't really see that out there in the world. And yeah, I think uh, if we compare this to the cloud transition, then you could say that so the previous decade, ten years took was what it took for Office to actually, I mean, become the default be, be in the cloud, but and then. Another ten years for local no code. I mean, easily. So yeah. I think what we're going to see is that the the tools are going to become mature very fast. Like I mean, looking at the admin side, for example, compared to, to now to two years ago, it's been just amazing how much we actually can do around governance. Well, partially because of the CRS target and all the innovation there, but still. So uh, you can going to see that okay, now Microsoft is focusing next on the on the Fusion developer stories, so getting Azure folks to actually play with uh, Power Platform tools. And that's probably going to take like maybe two years again. But I yep. mean, those days go so fast, we can have like five of those cycles in the time that's going to take the 10 year transition to actually sink in and be kind of accepted within the uh, large organizations. So uh, we kind of have to then have to also pick our battles. So we, we are trying to constantly then kind of uh, get our message out there and see that's where does it actually resonate? So people who are interested in this come talk with us, and then let's see what we can do with low code. But we we're not we're never selling Power Platform because that's yeah. going to be it's not our role. Microsoft can do that, and the others around there, but uh, it's not really our our job to do. We are kind of trying to find those people who are who are I mean forward thinking enough, and then be be their partners, be their advisors there, and see how we actually can make this work. So that it's a uh, Kind of you have to accept the fact that it's going to be uh, both really fast and painfully slow at the same time, the change. Yeah, I mean, I think even when I think back about the transition to cloud, uh, because I mean, I was definitely around long before cloud. Uh, and, you know, when cloud first showed up, 
it was, you know, uh, Bob's cloud company with some servers in a mini warehouse somewhere. It was, it was very, very sketchy, sketchy business. So it got a bad reputation very early. Cloud just became like a dirty word to IT because, mm-hmm. and rightfully so, uh, you know, Google stepped into it. Amazon, of course, uh, Microsoft late to the game, but they did finally, they did finally get in there. So, you know, you got the, the big kids now running cloud and it still took, uh, to your point, 10 years after that uh, mm-hmm. to get a, a, a real level of adoption. But I think once the big boys came in and cloud became legitimate, the early movers, maybe not the first movers, but the early movers saw advantage over their competitors. And mm-hmm. that's just infrastructure. I mean, I have an advantage over my competitor because my mail sits on the cloud instead of in an exchange server in the back of our office somewhere or colo. Um, that I had an advantage, but not near as much of an advantage as I would have today if I were an early mover with low code and apps, which actually directly impact the business, while some other one of my competitors, IT, is turning off the switch and keeping it from happening. I think the, the potential for creating competitive advantage right now with this wave that we're just starting on now is much greater than it was uh, moving mm. than that yeah. was been. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you think about what was uh, what part of a traditional dynamic CRM project was eliminated at when we moved to the cloud, where all the, the server deployments, all the updates, and all those version updates and that stuff was eliminated there. So that was kind of the the infrastructure specialist role that person got removed from the project. And what we're now removing from the project is well, partially developers who will write code, and then of course the the functional consultants who were there to like uh, take in the specifications and then do the customizations and uh, ship it and trade it, all that, because now that's being replaced by the people who are inside uh, business, who have to- access to those tools, who can figure it out, who are younger than us. And so yeah. they will take on that role. And again, they will kind of squeeze out the uh, uh, people needed in the project team to actually get for a, a system up and running. So I, I think that's, uh, yeah, it's going to be. I mean, I see, it, I see that in our own organization. They own- yeah. The makeup of our own of our own people is evolving as well, and you know the 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 coders are are you know kind of moving to the back of the line. Uh, we don't need as many of them as we did before. We're, mm. we're grouping this new kind of a person, which is uh, which didn't exist before. Uh, you know the and, uh, as I mentioned in the call with Charles, I don't even know what to call them. I mean, citizen developer mm. sound appropriate for a, a person that we've hired to work with a, with a client, but essentially yeah. they are, they're knowledgeable citizen developers. They, they don't write code. They don't know JavaScript. They don't, they don't write code, but they understand the platform. Uh, they understand the capabilities. They understand configuration. They understand they're able to accomplish so much more than a developer could in so much less time. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, you know, developer, I mean, their first thing to do, they're just, their instinct is to grab that toolbox and just start hammering away. Uh, you know, with their with their, their their stuff, and you know, citizens jumping in there and mm. going, "Well, why don't I just push this button and that button, and then it's done?" You know, mm. so, so that can be so, pretty, but it's going to actually work. Yeah, uh, and I mean, one thing, of course, we have to keep in mind here is that I mean, those people who are then pushed out are not going to be unemployed. I mean, we have, this is a way to scale this thing because if we think about the number of apps that uh, are now being deployed to the platforms. So uh, back in the days, you had like maybe. Well, you had one CRM in a SMB organization, many in enterprise and so on, but it was still like a handful. 
And now yeah. you can have thousands of apps running on the platform and like there's no way that uh, there would be enough people to write code for it to, I mean, build those things. So that that's the, the ultimate reason why this thing has to happen. It's not because writing code is bad, but writing it over and over again when something, when, when, when everybody needs it. And that's of yeah. course uh, the reason why uh, we need to eliminate those steps and like push them somewhere else, but actually can then deliver value. And like mentioned, I mean, the, the Fusion team story is going to be really critical probably for Microsoft to then kind of uh, justify the fact that uh, this is something that everybody needs to needs to buy a license for and like jump straight in, like commit to, to the platform. So it's not something that they can just like, I mean, use our platform uh, today and then use uh, our systems tomorrow and Mendix on the next day, but rather like make it all in so they kind of like, oh, the whole team comes there and learns those tools, learns how how you can go from Azure portal to Power Platform adding portals and, and do stuff work together because that's then going to be the ultimate lock-in of the, the cloud platform to when you achieve that level. You know, I think, uh, you know, customers will always drive the direction of Microsoft, Salesforce, they'll always drive the direction of those. You know, they Microsoft will lean in where customers are holding money out and mm. Right now, customers are starting to hold more money out on the low code. Uh, I think low code, from a customer standpoint, obviously low code has clear advantages. I mean, like I say, people calling up now, I don't want any code. They don't want any black boxes. They want control, want flexibility. Um, you know, so low code is, is as, as it gets into more customers' minds, they're going to be reaching more money out towards it, which is going to drive Microsoft and everybody else to, to go deeper on low code and start going across uh, things like, uh, you know, dynamic CRM, uh, customer engagement, uh, bringing uh, more low code capabilities to, to that, because that's still today, I think, to get to get where you need to get, it's going to require development level customization because there's a lot of legacy mm -hmm. code they built in there that just doesn't exist in the platform but eventually i think they're gonna they're gonna butter that with with low code capabilities to erp side um and low code's gonna be eventually the name of the game and you, you'll you'll push a button you'll spin up your massive erp system in the cloud in about five minutes and then you're gonna go low code so what's interesting and this is also similar that when cloud came around you know many uh many customers or many partners made a lot of money of course deploying on-premise uh hardware uh, the hardware cost itself and deploying mm -hmm. configuring, so all of that cost vaporized with the cloud because cloud you know you push a button and suddenly your exchange server is running five minutes later all in the background so there was a there was a massive amount of revenue removed from the it world by cloud mm -hmm. In our space of business applications, there's still significant revenue, and you mentioned it earlier from the Forrester study about those partners, all their revenue. These are all big, big deployment projects, big customization projects on ERP. That's the next big pile of revenue to be removed mm -hmm. from the equation because as they as they butter all these things with uh, low code, no code, there's just not going to be a need. Uh, by the time that happens, probably won't be anybody left on premise. We still we still have a significant uh, population out there on premise with dynamic solutions, wondering why mm -hmm. stuff isn't as good. Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Well, because you're 
you're sitting there, you know, in a cave, <laughs> you know, you're under a rock. But that'll be, I mean, I hope to retire by the time all that stuff happens. Because when you think right now, you know, your firm is doing well, we're doing well with the power platform and, and having more of a focus on the low code. But there's not that many of us yet. Uh, and low code's new. As low code grows, there'll be more of us. You know, okay, mm-hmm. the pie will grow as will the partners. But then once they start pulling these huge swaths of revenue out of the traditional partners, deployment and customization, big upfront projects, you know, and all there really is, is a bunch of low code, the whole thing, everything's low code. Um, that I'll be curious to see what, what the, what the landscape looks like then of the partner and, and customers, because it's, it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, what's they going to be the next thing to pivot to and, uh, it's interesting to see already today, I mean, uh, how, I mean, the fact that Power Apps and Automate have been packaged with Office, I mean, how close we are now talking with the people who, I mean, do SharePoint and Teams who are trying to do the sort of generic common information worker processes and kind of how they see these tools and how they are coming to basically our, our turf and doing, in theory, the same tech stuff that, uh, that we are doing and yet from a totally different perspective. So then thinking about that's one pers- one sort of uh, slice of the current pie, then there's the Dynamics partners who are using again the same tools, but have have this uh, top-down approach of big projects, whereas we are then talking to the, to the bottom of revolution people who want to kind of uh, overthrow those projects. And there's like already three of these groups that are essentially using the same tools, doing the same power apps, but but in totally different uh, purposes. Then we're gonna get the fourth people from Azure to come down there and start connecting with them. And I mean, God forbid, uh, developers who are then using, for example, Power Automate and not Logic Apps. I mean, of course, something like that will eventually happen because why would you then hold on to stuff that when it gets good enough, then uh, that's great speed. And then you get uh, left behind if you, Want to do things right properly because i mean the citizens are coming and they're going to do things absolutely the wrong way they're going to use horrible yeah. architecture they're not going to care about the rules because they don't know about them but they're still going to be in total benefit for the company and i mean customers are going to see that they're going to question then okay why should we do all these things in the complex kind of right way so the definition of right is probably going <laughs> to change their uh, along along the way, as people kind of accept the fact that uh, low code is uh, messy and it's not as perfect as your custom built apps are, but I mean, people don't build ERPs from custom code anymore. Well, some do, but uh, those are the crazy ones. So yeah. uh, thinking Govern. about like, <laughs> yeah. So think about is there going to be then kind of more of these slices appearing into the kind of world of software? I mean, are we going to then get more of the data people also into this equation or the AI, I mean, what's going to happen? Are they going to be the, the existing slices are going to be smaller, but then is there going to be something that merges there in the middle? Then I'm, I'm pretty sure, confident that's the uh, kind of the total uh, amount of computing is not going to decrease ever in the world. And as a result, then I'm kind of uh, hopeful that we will find it then such new slices to actually then uh, kind of jump onto once we are done with the, the low code phase. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not a developer. I, I, we have developers. I, I do a little copy paste here and there, but I'm definitely not a developer. Mm. I don't think you're a developer either. Are you? Yeah, I, I can't really write any real code, but I can write PowerFX. 
which is yeah, now a programming language. So now I'm programming. <laughs> and that's, that's part of the, I mean, what I really love about Charles is uh, messages that, I mean, it, it's a platform for every developer and everybody yeah. who does apps are developers. They might be citizens, they might be people who do low code for a living, but still, I mean, we are fundamentally, uh, I mean, people with the same mindset, but just different tools. I wonder what the, you know, the traditional developer uh, is thinking nowadays. I mean, because he's seeing this low code. I'm assuming just like customers fighting cloud and fighting uh, power apps, he's fighting against the whole concept of low code. You know, dismissing it as as junk. And yeah, it's. A, I mean, low code is is it, it's simple for someone with not a lot of skills to build something that's completely useless. Hmm. Uh, you know, so there's there, there's a point there, but but the customers are more and more going to be looking at low code. I don't want code. So I'm a coder and I'm a coder up against this wave of no code coming my direction and customers behind it saying, I don't want code. What, what, what do I do? I mean, do I, do I step down from all this knowledge that I've accumulated, you know, for decades about developing code because it, it just doesn't have a value today to the typical customer and typical requirement? Am I get, am I relegated now to just those those edge areas where it's needed? And now there's way too much of us for those edge areas. So where where do they all go? What what's their evolution path? Do they just hope to retire? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, at some point it's going to be just GPT three and all those models that are going to be copy pasting whatever has been put on GitHub and then generating the apps for you. Uh, yeah, I'm not really as mentioned. I don't think that it. Uh, total sort of net amount of computing and computer related work is going to really decrease but uh it's definitely going to be it's a big yeah it's a it's a bigger barrier to get over for them than it is for the business people to actually start building apps i think that's kind of uh it, it seems uh kind of uh, illogical because uh, people with programming skills should be able to kind of adapt tools that are simplified but they don't want to and then, but it's not a good story for them. And uh, whereas for the business people who are tech savvy and want to get things done, they can go higher and higher on the ladder. So yeah, I, I think that so there's a lot of work to do. And that's why I said it's going to take like these two years for Max to get the, the future story right for them to actually to make it attractive for, for the devs. Because right now, if you look at the build conference and how they are having more and more local there every year, then the devs are starting to ask, like, is this a conference for me anymore? I mean, where's the yeah. the real dev conference for Microsoft people? And yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry, but this is it. This is the future. And eventually, maybe it's going to be a good story for them as well. It is interesting. You would think that if you have a, a true development background, you would be an absolute ass-kicking low-code builder. I mean, you mm. could you could knock out more low-code better than any of these mm. low-code folks. But... But I think you know maybe you have a built-in bias. Uh, I think that uh, you know some people have a tendency to maybe overthink, uh, uh, you know, because they've got the deep background of of uh, details, and you're suddenly dropped into mm. almost like a kindergarten uh, mm. environment. And and you know, you, I think it's easy for them to maybe overthink. Uh, we run into that even with with clients where they've got a developer on staff who. You know they're they're going to have him work on some 
some power app or something like that. And you, know, you come in and look behind what he's done, and it's just as bad as somebody didn't know what they're doing at all because he he was overthinking everything. Mm. It, it just didn't. He wasn't able to kind of like step back and just a, a, approach it uh, from new. But uh, I guess time will tell what what happens to that uh, that group. Um, I know you've done some work with uh, teams also, right? I think I was reading about you doing some playing around with some development stuff in teams. Yeah, definitely. I mean, teams, uh, and ultimately that is the new, the next windows. I mean, it's the operating system for things the Microsoft is building. So uh, we're kind of pretty far from that being the reality today with all the sort of technical limitations. But then if we think about the ability to actually then, I mean, bring these apps to the whole organization. Then again, the licensing model behind it is so attractive that we do lots of stuff on data virtual teams because we have to get it out there because mm-hmm. it's there are apps that uh, everybody needs to have occasional access to. And then, yeah, I mean, can we fit it into uh, the team's environment? Yeah, we can. We can do good apps with, in there as well. So uh, again, that's something that if you come from a kind of a dynamics background and you want to do things right, then you're horrified by the fact that there's all the features are not there which you're used to using in full dataverse. Yeah. But looking at it from the other perspective, I mean, can we replace a, uh, a SharePoint list-based uh, uh, semi-app there or a paper process? And yeah, we can. So these are these are the steps that we are now taking with uh, Dataverse for Teams in many customers and kind of teaching them the fact that uh, there are actually also apps in Teams. It's not just for the, it's not for the meetings or chats. And uh, that is... Uh, it's another kind of a thing that's not going to happen in in just a couple of years. So yeah. with COVID, we had the transition to, I mean, remote work. That uh, that happened uh, faster than maybe would have otherwise, but it did, and that kind of took away a lot of the the air from the room around what you can do with teams. People didn't really have time to like figure out the true possibilities of that. They had to get online and make things work there, fumble their way through it, and learn about collaboration practices. Uh, uh, when you are not at the office, and uh, they've survived, but so now they probably they're going to take a deep breath maybe, and then start exploring. Okay, can we actually do more of our work within Teams? So uh, I believe that. Uh, well, it's uh, of course the fact that it's the the biggest growing product at Microsoft, and uh, a, their their future depends a lot more on Teams than it does on Windows. So all the investments is going to be there, but where's then? for our platform, then uh, that marriage is not yet at this moment. It's uh, not compulsory. They can survive on their own. So I think they're just like starting the uh, starting the dance a bit there and saying, okay, where can we coexist? So yeah, I think it's going to again take a few years before we see the the real collaborate app story to come to come to life in a way that customers uh, expect it or, or demand it. That was something we kind of pushed to them, but it's uh, obviously a direction that's very Lucrative for Microsoft to to make the reality to get everybody re- using their new OS and not not Mac OS or iOS or Android. Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, you know, obviously COVID uh, created a need, uh, and Microsoft pivoted. I, I mean, I think that they pivoted a lot of resources mm. uh, towards Teams because of that, uh, and I think that uh, I don't I don't think there's any question that there will continue to be more work from home people than there were pre-COVID long after. I mean, mm. that's, not, that's not reversing. I think it, too many people have discovered that their worst fears were not true, that people do productively work 
from home, maybe even more productively. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're not having to rent office space or not having to do uh, things. So I don't, I don't see that ever going back to what it was before. So a Microsoft with Teams, I think, happened to be absolutely the right place at the right time with the right mm-hmm. capability of resources to be able to pour gas on that right when yeah. they need I mean, uh, without without COVID, I think, you know, teams would still be bopping along, but I don't think it would be anywhere near uh, where it is uh, today. Um, I agree. I would like to, you know, we've looked at it from uh, the rapid start standpoint. I mean, you can you can create a power apps team, uh, a tab in a in a uh, in a team and you can load uh, uh, load rapid start on that. It's not really connected to teams. It's displayed within it's like an iframe mm. instead of teams it's yeah. just played you can you know you don't have to jump out so maybe there's some minor convenience there but the real connectivity story between the the dataverse mm. you know, that's under that and and teams uh you know they're I, I think they're they're working on it with dynamics first um but we're starting to see some of that that sort of stuff and then this viva sales um which I think is the first of several Vivas. I think we're going to see more Vivas. I think mm, that, definitely. You know, I mean, Viva sales. Well, first of all, we're seeing it with Dynamics, and we're going to see it for Salesforce, which makes sense. But right after that, Charles has promised, you know, within months, uh, that'll be down at platform level. So, uh, you know, companies like ours and anybody building custom mm. apps can can take advantage of that. But I think we're going to see Viva service. I think we're going to see Viva for healthcare. I think we're going to see. I think we're going to see them launch a whole bunch of Vivas out mm. there. Anyway, those are the first-party apps for on top of Teams. Contrast to Dynamics, yeah. which is the first-party apps on our platforms. So yeah, yep, it's happening. Yeah, that's I, I that's that's one I'm going to keep an eye on is uh, is the Viva when I when I first heard Viva sales, um, I, I, I was thinking about this other Viva thing that Microsoft has. It really is just annoying in my inbox. Mm. You know, it doesn't. It never gives me any valuable or useful information, and I've unsubscribed from Viva. Uh, but uh, this is something I was kind of surprised they took the same name because it was built by uh, Charles Team. Uh, they built Viva mm. Set, and I was kind of surprised they took the Viva name since, as far as I was concerned, it already didn't have a very good, a good reputation. But uh, hopefully, they can overcome that. Um, and I think that's going to be something to keep an eye on. What are you keeping an eye on? What do you What do you think is on the horizon that has the potential to get big? Well, I think uh, well, uh, immediate kind of roadmap. There's so much going to be. We've seen the first uh, steps towards bringing these uh, built-in sort of premium governance features into Power Platform with the managed environments. It's yep. very limited today, but uh, there's a, a much bigger roadmap out there for them to like really then do stuff that you today have to build yourself or configure COA Stargate with, then that's going to be a, a huge th- thing or on kind of my territory to to keep an eye on that and then educate customers on what they what they should build and what they should then buy via the premium services that, that are going to come along. Uh, but yeah, Teams is also an area which is very sort of interesting from my perspective because that's really such a w- great way to democratize these tools, make them visible to the whole organization because everyone's on Teams. So I think that's, uh, well, I mean, there's been this promise of the uh, embedding uh, or showing data 
from Dataverse or Dynamics within Teams context, having all these loop components and this context IQ or whatever. So those are, at the moment, they are great vision videos, but they are probably pretty close to becoming the, seeing the V1 of kind of that kind of way to to use then uh, sort of let, show the Dataverse data in, in the right context of a chat or a discussion there. And uh, kind of the concept that I, I'd like love to then see Dataverse reach is that it would become sort of this, uh, not be a system of record, but be a system of context. So whatever you then like to reference, there's going to be a way to add mention a record in whatever Dataverse environment and like then bring up the details from it into the discussion, into an email, whatever. And uh, in that sense, kind of make it sort of the 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 full master in the system of your enterprise. Mm -hmm. So in that, that point in time, everybody would be running to push data into Dataverse. Right now, we yeah. still have to sell the value of the premium license, but if that happens, then it's going to be the other way around. Everything has to be in Dataverse then if we get to that point. Yeah, Charles had referred to the, the Viva sales as a potential of a kind of an ambient CRM, I think was the term he used. Mm, that's a great term, yeah. You don't have to go to your CRM necessarily. Your CRM is like coming to you. It's chasing mm. you around the building. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it makes it a little easier. And I'm already seeing kind of a, a, uh, a some similarity with Teams and Outlook in that I've started to recently get spam uh, messaging in Teams. Have you had any mm. of that? Uh, not yet, but yeah, I know kind of what's the uh, the problem there is. So if you have open connectivity for everyone to, I mean, chat with you then, yeah. Yeah, which you kind of kind of have to have if, mm. well, up to, up to now it's been safe to have, because, you know, there'll yeah. be people that are reaching out on Teams. I mean, most of the time there are people that I want to be talking to on Teams, but yeah, now people have discovered, oh, I can reach out to people where they want me to or not. So mm. it's got that, it's got that in common with Outlook now or, or in the future. Yeah. It's breaking down the great firewall that we used to imagine that Teams is like internal only. But once yeah. you start having apps there and bringing, for example, customer data within the UI and doing your CRM stuff, showing the activities with customers within Teams and getting all the conversation intelligence, all the recordings within Teams. And I mean, yeah, it's going to be about everything else than, than your own organization. So it yeah. becomes, so basically, becomes the whole world. Eventually it'll turn to shit. <laughs> yeah. That's always there. Like we're gonna have the next version, next product that's gonna be almost the same, but not quite and not compatible and have to migrate. <laughs> well, Yuka's been great catching up with you. It's been uh, it's been yeah. quite a while since since we've talked, and uh, and I always I, I always follow your stuff. Uh, I, Likewise, I only read about halfway down because you write too much. Um, but <laughs> I definitely keep it all uh, all for reference and uh, and look forward to seeing you at, at some event here in the you know the foreseeable future. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was great talking to you after a long while. And yeah, let's let's keep uh, podcasting and blogging and do, doing our thing. Sounds good, man.